Well, it's great to see everybody here today. You know, there's a lot that can keep you out of church, isn't there? There's also a lot of things that can keep you away from true and sincere worship of God. And that's what I want to talk to you today about is barriers to true worship. We're looking at Acts chapter 19. It's the story of a man named Demetrius. And well, we'll get into his story more in a moment. But have you ever noticed how many stories are in the Bible? And there's certainly passages that aren't stories like Paul's letters and Psalms, Proverbs. But if you read the Bible, you'll notice that there are just a vast amount of stories about different people and the good decisions they made and the bad decisions that they made and, and how God was working in their life and calling them to different things. The Bible's just packed full of the lives of different individuals. And in fact, the Bible tells us over in the New Testament that the reason that we have all these stories is to serve as an example for us. You see, God not only directly tells us things like the commandments and tells us what we should do and shouldn't do, but God also, he shows us. He shows us through the lives of these different people. And so the reason that we have stories like the one that we're going to look at today with Paul and this man named Demetrius is so that we can learn from them. And the story that we have today, in, in many ways it's a very sad story because there's a lot of different people in this passage that they couldn't get past various barriers to, to get to the one true God. And you know, the Bible talks about our relationship to God in terms of distance. At one point, the Bible talks about someone who is not far off from God. The idea is that you and I have a journey to make to get to God. And there's a lot of things that along that journey we're going to have to overcome if we're going to get there. And so today we're going to talk about three of them. Acts chapter 19 beginning in verse 21 is where we'll be at. Would you join me in standing as we read this together? Acts chapter 19 beginning in verse 21 and we'll read through verse 41 today. It says, now after these events Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying after I've been there I must also see Rome and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers Timothy and Erastus he himself stayed in Asia for a while about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen these he gathered together and with the workmen in similar trades and said men you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in, in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another. 
For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring their charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when they had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray together. Father, I give thanks for Paul and his companions who were faithful to proclaim the message even when it was not popular or well-received. And God, I pray today that we might have the same commitment and courage to be faithful and persistent, proclaiming the messages that's been handed, handed down to us by the apostles. Lord, I ask that for the next few moments, you give us insight into your word. Help us to understand why you've recorded this story for us. And Lord, I pray that as we listen to you, we might be forever changed into the image of your son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this story really breaks down in three different episodes. There, there's Demetrius and his concerns, and then we see the crowd gathering into the theater, and then finally there's the, the city clerk that comes in and dismisses them all and, and quietens them down. And so when you think about these three different episodes that are taking place in the story of, of Demetrius and his concern about Paul's preaching, uh, each one of us, each one of them represents for us a, a barrier, something that, that can keep you from really coming to true faith. See, as we look at Demetrius, this man was a silversmith. And, and he was making a great living by crafting these uh, uh, models, if you will, of, of the temple and of, of this goddess Artemis. And so uh, I think about today, like in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is totally dependent upon tourism. And there's all these people that come there. And when you go in the old city of Jerusalem, uh, all these people are in there trying to sell things. And that's how they make their living, is selling you all these trinkets and different things. And so Demetrius is much like this. Here's the, here's the temple Artemis in Ephesus. And people from all over the world who believe that she's actually a goddess are traveling there to see the temple and to pray and, and probably to give a gift. And, and so as they go, then he sells them this, this silver model that they can then take back to their house. And they can have their own replica and their own little goddess there in their, in their home. And, and he's, he's getting rich doing this. And, and so are all of his friends. It's a, it's a booming business. And so then along comes Paul, and Paul is preaching that, that gods made with human hands are not gods at all. And the problem with this is that people are listening to him. And so as they listen to Paul and are converted to Christianity, they forsake the worship of Artemis and, and all the other idols. And so Demetrius realizes that, that Paul is really bad for business. And so Demetrius gathers all the people together that work with him and build these different shrines and things. And, and, he, and he rallies them together and he says, guys, we all stand to lose a lot of money here. 
We've got to do something. Well, Demetrius is like a lot of people today. His primary concern is his money. You see, love for the world will keep you from loving God. As we look at the story of Demetrius here, verse 24, notice the second part of it, what he says. Brought no little business to the craftsmen. It's clear that they're concerned. Verse 25, he says, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Verse 27, And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple, the great goddess Artemis, may be counted as nothing. We never see any indication that Demetrius considered whether Artemis was really a god or whether Paul was preaching something that was true. The passage is very clear in the way it tells us the story that his concern was about his money. Money. Here's what Jesus taught about this, Matthew 6, 24. Listen to what he says. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Notice what Jesus said. You cannot serve God and money. Well, the Christian faith is not opposed to money. I mean, money is the, what's earned when you work, and all of us need it to live. That's not the point. The point is where is your heart is, your devotion, your desire. It's one thing to work and provide for your family, which is what God has called us to do. In fact, the Bible says if anybody doesn't do that, they're worse than an unbeliever. That's what the Bible says. The Bible also says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And so, so the Bible is not against working and earning money and all these things. That's not the point. The Bible is against being in love with money and being in love with the world so that when we come to a point in our life when we have to make a decision, are we going to do what's in our best financial interest or are we going to follow Christ and what he's called us to do, that for us it's a no-brainer. We're always going to follow Christ because he is the chief primary devotion in our life. It's about priority. And the problem is that many times we don't realize our priorities until there's a crisis that causes us to have to choose. It's very easy to proclaim that you believe something when nobody is contradicting you. It's very easy to take a stand on something when it costs you nothing. But when you come to a point in your life when there's a crisis, perhaps two things contradict. Perhaps you can only pay for one of two things. When you come to a point in your life that there's a crisis, you have to make a choice your choice will often reveal to you where your heart lies and your priorities. And Demetrius, his priority in life was not trying to discover God or know him. His priority in life was pursuing his own personal wealth. And Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. Paul also dealt with this. Paul, who was a traveling missionary and uh, he was dependent upon different people to to support him and keep him alive and keep him going. He was dependent upon different uh, other ministers to work with him and work in a team. And, and Paul, at one point, uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, this is a letter that he writes back to Timothy, and he says, do your best to come to me soon. He was, he was needing help. He needed another person, and here's why. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 
Paul doesn't give us an awful lot of details about some of these different people that, that deserted him, but it seems pretty clear. And he says, for Demas, in love with this present world, Paul had set out on a missionary journey, and he took a group of guys with him who were helping him preach and teach and conduct the ministry. But along the way, for some, it just got too hard. There wasn't any wealth to be gained. It was, they were facing persecution. So Paul says that Demas comes to a point in his life that he decides that he, he loves the world more than he loves the pursuit of God and what God has called to him. And so he abandons Paul in the middle of his missionary journey. Uh, this, this past fall, our association went to, to Thailand. And it's the first time we'd been to that area. And there was a whole group of pastors and different church leaders that went. And uh, a lot of us didn't know each other very well from different churches. And, and I'm new. I didn't know hardly anybody. And so I was, I was very aware that uh, behavior on that trip might determine future invitations to future trips. That's just the reality of it, isn't it? I can guarantee you if in the middle of the first week I said, guys, the bed's too hard, the food's just not good, it's hot here, I think I'm just going to catch the next flight back. Probably would have been the last time that I got invited to go with them on one of these trips. Paul's out on the middle of his missionary journey, and the middle of the journey when he's counting on Demas, Demas goes back to Thessalonica to pursue his wealth because the Bible says he was in love with the world. Demas probably didn't know he was in love with the world until he got out on that hard missionary journey, and the difficulties brought it to surface in his life. Demetrius was in love with the world, he was in love with his money, and he saw, he saw the preaching of the gospel as a threat to his trade and it was the love of money that kept him from pursuing God first John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 listen what it says do not love the world or the things of the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the father but is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Love for this world will keep you from loving God. There was a time in America where the church was highly revered. And being a member of the church, even if in name only, would greatly advance you in the society. It would help you get job opportunities. It would give you a reputation in the community. Today, we're fastly moving toward the exact opposite. We're becoming in a time where our society presents the church as a group of, uh, of uh, hate. That's, that's the, the favorite language they love to use to describe the love of Christ that we preach about and the call to repentance. Hate. Hate speech. And we're becoming uh, viewed less and less favorably in our culture. Now, this is nothing new. There's been times all throughout history the church has ebbed and flowed in how it's viewed in the world. And the reality is, is that the church often flourishes under persecution. When Paul was preaching, his message was not popular. The vast majority of people in Ephesus worshipped this false goddess, Artemis. And yet Paul was faithful and Paul was persistent. Because you see, Paul was not in love with the world. His desire was not for all the Ephesians to think well of him. His desire was to see some of the Ephesians saved. And you and I, I think we're, we're coming to a time in our society that we're going to have to make a choice. Do we want people to think well of us or do we want to serve God? Love for the world will keep you from loving 
God. Well, there's a second barrier that we really see represented by the crowd. You see, going along with the crowd will keep you from going along with God. Notice how the crowd is described. Look at verse 29. It says, so the city was filled with the confusion. They, they, were, they were filled with confusion. Nobody, nobody knew what's going on. Verse 32 says it again. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in, there's the word again, confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. I was reflecting on this week and I, and I realized that obviously most of this crowd were, were men. Because it says most of them didn't even know why they had come together. I wonder what the conversation might have been like that day. Two guys are there together, one shouting one thing, one shouting another. And one guy looks over and he says, what are we mad about? And he says, I don't know. What are you mad about? And he says, I don't know. And he says, well, why did you come? And he says, my wife told me to. He says, why did you come? He says, same. Yeah. They, they didn't even know why they were there. And this is, this is typical of a mob. It, it truly is. It's typical typical of a mob that just goes along there's there's something within us that we we don't we don't like to go against the flow we don't like to be the person that stands out and so it's easy to get caught up in the crowd several comedians in the last presidential election cycle had a good time with this going out into different protesters and just asking them about why they were there, what they were protesting. It's funny. Some of these people at these events with signs, and you just ask them a few questions, and they really don't even know what, what's going on or what anything's about. And it's, it's typical that we get, we get caught up in a crowd. And the Bible says about this crowd, there was, there was confusion. Well, the crowd was confused then, and the crowd's confused today as well. I don't know why anybody would really want to follow the crowd. We think about the crowd in terms of our society and our culture. Do you know that our culture has radically changed in America? Things that we once believed, uh, we no longer believe. And the reality is, is that things that we believe today in, in our culture, we, we won't believe 20, 30 years from now. I'll give you some evidence for that. In 1987, the Time Magazine conducted a poll asking different questions about people's views on morality. In 1987... 82% uh, of Americans believed that engaging in homosexuality was uh, immoral. 82% of Americans. 2014, CNN conducted the same poll, asked the same questions to see what changes had come about. And in 2014, that number had dropped from 82% to, to 50%. I was a little surprised. I really didn't know if there was still 50% that believed it was wrong or not. I was real surprised by that. In 1987... 70% uh, of Americans believed that smoking marijuana was morally wrong. 70%. 2014, 35% uh, believed that it was morally wrong. Half the number of people. You see, the crowd is constantly changing. The crowd is easily influenced. That's, that's really what public relations is, is changing public opinion. And so if you and I are going to follow the crowd and we're going to do what everybody else is doing and we're going to listen to everybody else, what we're going to find is that we're going to constantly change it. It's a life of confusion, never really knowing what's right and what's wrong because well, what's right and what's wrong is going to depend on what decade you're living in because the culture is constantly changing. And this, this idea of the crowd, this is, this is prevalent in how many people today view morality. I want to show you a video from... Uh, 
discussion that two gentlemen had, Bill Nye, Bill Nye the science guy he's called, and uh, Ken Ham. They were up at the ark walking through and having this conversation. And Ken asked him this question about how do we know what's right and what's wrong? And I, gr I great respect for Bill Nye because he's very honest about what he thinks and what he believes. And it's, and it's very uh, helpful for us to see what so many people in the scientific community believe about morality. Guys, can we show that video? No? So anyway, I'm going to keep talking is what they're saying. And they're going to show it here in just a second. So I'll tell you what happens in the video. Ken Ham asked the question. He says, uh, how do you know what's right and what's wrong? And, and so Bill and I says, well, based on my, my feelings. And so Ken says, well, can someone else have different feelings from you? And he says, well, you know, absolutely people can have different feelings about things from me. And so he says, so can someone else have a different morality? And, and Bill and I says, well, I'm, I'm open but skeptical. Not, not maybe a different morality, but a different view on a particular thing. And so he says, so, so, so who decides? And, and Bill and I says, well, my tribe decides, meaning the American culture is his tribe. And other tribes around the world, they get to decide. And so, so basically, whatever the crowd thinks is what determines what is right. Oh, we're good to go, they say. Okay, let's play the video. So let me ask a question. How do you determine what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad? On what basis? Like if these young people over here want to know what's right and what's wrong, how do you determine that? Two ways. Mm -hmm. First of all, based on what I feel mm -hmm. as a member of the human tribe. So feelings. So sub they're subjective. Absolutely. So your what feelings. Call subjective. Okay, but your we feelings. Call a result of uh, altruism. So your fe your feel. feelings could be different to somebody else's feelings. So the second thing. Correct. Is, your feelings could be different absolutely. to somebody else. So somebody could have a different morality to you. Different morality. I'm open-minded, but a little skeptical. A different view of a specific event. Okay. So if somebody said to you, "I think types like you are dangerous. I want to get rid of you," would you say that's right or wrong? It depends. Okay. Okay? And here's right. the second thing. Mm -hmm. You remember I mentioned there were two things. Mm -hmm. The second thing is we establish laws by consensus. By consensus. So Our different... tribe gets together okay. and decides what's right and wrong. Okay. We so not only that, we, discuss, we, dis, we agree on degrees of rightness and wrongness. Okay. A parking so ticket, not as serious as running somebody over with your car. So there could be a different consensus by a different group. Absolutely, and this process is what we call... You just said absolutely, but that's an absolute. Very much. You said an absolute. Very much. We determine this by our legal system. And tribes all over the world have legal systems and legal traditions. So let me ask a question. How do you determine what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad? On what basis, like if these young people over here want to know what's right and what's wrong, how do you determine that? Two ways. Mm -hmm. that, First it. of all, based on what I feel. As a member of the human tribe. So feelings, so sub they're subjective. Absolutely. So your what feelings we call subjective. Okay, but your we feelings call a result of uh, altruism. So your your feel. feelings could be different to somebody else's feelings. The second thing is Correct. Your feelings could be different to somebody else. So somebody could have a different morality to you. Different morality. I'm open minded, but there we go. Super, super. So we got to see part of it twice, so hopefully emphasize the point there. Do you, do you notice what he said, though? Diff different tribes decide different things, and that's what determines morality. So in other words, in America, where prostitution is illegal, it's, it's wrong. But, but, but in Thailand, where it's 20% of the GDP of the country, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it because people there have 
accepted it. The basis of his morality is what the crowd thinks and what the crowd accepts and what the crowd believes. This is, this is a major problem for us because if you're going to go along with a crowd that's always changing and always shifting, and in fact, according to Bill Nye, you, just, you can pick a crowd around the world. You can do this country, that country, whatever legal system there is determined what's acceptable, then it's okay there and it's not immoral because people there believe it and have accepted it. So if we're gonna if we're gonna base our life on that, we're gonna listen to the crowd. Then we're always gonna be living in confusion. And the problem with this is that even though the crowd is always changing, God has never changed. He is absolutely consistent. And the things that He said were wrong thousands of years ago, He's still saying are wrong today. And the things that He called us to thousands of years ago, He's still calling us to today. The Lord absolutely does not change. The Bible says in Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And because he's the same and his character is the same and consistent, he doesn't change. And so he doesn't pronounce one thing wrong in this decade and another thing right in the same decade. Matthew chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. Listen to what Jesus said about the Old Testament law. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said the moral laws that God has given us are absolutely unchanging and we're not to relax any of them. And so when we listen to the crowd and we see that in one decade the crowd thinks that, that smoking marijuana is bad and now in this decade most Americans think it's just fine and we see in one decade that most Americans think homosexuality is immoral and now we're just 1% away from the majority saying it's perfectly okay. We, we see all these things changing and shifting and friend, they'll change and shift again. Uh, th those of you that are, that are going to get to live another 20 or 30 years, you'll see massive shifts again in our culture. This is how it works. It's constantly changing what people think is right and what people think is wrong. But what God teaches is right is, is never changing. And as confused as the crowd may be, and for the vast majority of them, just go along with whatever is pronounced the loudest. God is absolutely consistent in what he teaches us. And so there's going to be times in our life we have to go against the crowd in order to be a go along with God. Well, we see the city clerk. He's the one that quietens things down. I want you to notice what he says. He, he comes in, and clerk doesn't mean what it means today. He was the highest-ranking official from the Roman government there. So he was kind of like a mayor, but maybe with more authority. And so that's why they listened to him when he came in, and he, he got their attention. And so the Bible says in verse 35, when the town clerk had quietened the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there? who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis. Verse 36. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied. Well, Paul was denying them. But verse 37, listen. He says, For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Well, the amazing thing about the city clerk is that Pretty much everything he says is, is wrong. And Demetrius had been very honest and truthful. Every charge that Demetrius brought against Paul was true. Demetrius said, this man, Paul, he's preaching that God's made with human hands are not God's at all. 
That's exactly right. That's exactly what Paul was preaching. That's what he meant. That's what we believe to this day. And the city clerk comes in. He says, guys, guys, there's no conflict here. We, We all believe the same thing. These guys are not sacrilegious. And they're not blasphemers of our goddess Artemis. He was, he was teaching them, hey, hey, let's just, let's just calm down for a moment. And let's just be a little more tolerant of everybody here. Because we really do believe the same thing. And the problem with that is it's, it's either ignorance or an outright lie. They most certainly did not believe the same thing. All throughout the centuries, people have tried to convince us that, that ultimately we believe all the same thing. In fact, uh, not too long ago, I was uh, on a, a trip with a pastor friend of mine, and uh, we got split up on the airplane, and the gentleman that was sitting beside him was reading a book, and he saw it was on Christianity, and so he, he asked him, what, what are you reading? And he said, uh, reading this book on the major religions of the world. And uh, he said, oh, it's interesting. He said, yeah, so I'm a pastor, a student up at Southern Seminary. They get to talking, and this, this gentleman begins to tell him that he has learned through this book that uh, all religions are the same, that, that, that Buddha and Muhammad and Jesus are ultimately all teaching the same thing. And this, there are many books like this today, many people who believe this and promote it, this idea of that, that, that we're really all ultimately the same. My friend spent the next few minutes uh, explaining to him that everything he had just said was wrong, that Jesus certainly was not the same as Buddha or Muhammad, that the, what we believed as Christians was radically different. And after spending those next few minutes explaining that to him, he spent the rest of the flight in silence because the guy didn't want to talk anymore. That's where we are in our culture today, this idea of tolerance. The city clerk comes in, he says, these guys are not sacrilegious. These guys are not preaching blasphemy against Artemis. What's exactly what they were doing? Tolerance is the idea that, that everything is okay, and it grows out of relativism, which is the idea that whatever you believe is okay for you. It's really ultimately an atheistic position. You know, if, if I was an atheist, and, and people that say they're atheists and get on the internet and, and rant, rave, and try to tear down Christianity, I, they're not really atheists. If I was really an atheist, I wouldn't care what anybody else believed as long as it didn't harm me. If I was an atheist, I'd say, leave the Buddhists alone. They're nice people. If I was an atheist, I'd say, leave the Christians alone. They're not, you know, they feed the poor, they do different good things, they build hospitals, leave them alone. What, who cares what they believe if I was an atheist? If I was an atheist, I'd say, man, leave the Muslims alone. Except for the ones that want to cut our heads off, maybe. But, but the ones that, that don't actually read the Quran and follow it, leave them alone. They're not, they're not hurting anything. They're, 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 they're peaceful people. It's ultimately an atheistic position, a worldview that gets you to that point. That you realize that there's nothing after life. Then what difference does it make what different people believe about life after death? But when you come to believe that there's a reality then we realize that contradictory things cannot be true at the same time. If you believe there's no reality after this life, then whatever perception people have, one to believe it's, it's okay. But see, Jesus requires us to pick a side. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, this is what Jesus said about the end of time. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and sees all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Do you notice there's two categories, sheep and goats? 
And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Notice there's two sides, the right and the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then we'll skip down to verse 41. Verse 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice there's two groups of people and there are two places of, of eternity. I want you to also notice in verse 41 he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. But notice what he says, Prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not prepared for them, but because they resisted what God had done to save them. It's the only place left for them to go. Verse 46, and it says, And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Demetrius heard the gospel about how people could be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this because Paul was a fearless preacher, and he was there staying in Ephesus, and he was teaching, and he was preaching publicly, and many people were converted and saved. But because he was in love with the world, it kept him from being able to love God. The same is true for many people today. Many people today who fear that they might have to give up their favorite sin if they choose to follow Jesus Christ. Many people today fear that it might cost them time, resources, friends, or prestige if they were to follow Jesus. But yet Jesus calls us to pick a side. The crowd gathered into the theater there together, this whole assembly. The theater, by the way, is still in existence today. You can go on the internet and look at pictures of that theater in Ephesus. And the people gathered in there in this great crowd. And the Bible says there was confusion and nobody really even knew what was going on. One shouted one thing and one shouted another. They were confused. But like, like sheep, they followed. If you and I are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't listen to, to, to whatever society teaches, whatever the world teaches. We've got to listen to what the Lord teaches. And there'll be times, depending on where you are and when you're there, that what he teaches may be consistent with those around you. And there'll be other times when it's absolute against the people around you. But you just got to make a decision which side you're going to be on. Whether you're going to be in love with the world or whether you're going to be in love with God. Whether you're going to follow the crowd or whether you're going to go with God. And you and I must understand that not everything is okay. And not every belief and teaching system is consistent. God is not calling us to tolerate everything. He calls us to live at peace with all people as far as possible. That's what the Bible says. But not to teach them what they believe is okay or acceptable. We have to make a decision about which side we're on. And the Bible says that one day there's going to be a judgment. And during that time the Lord will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And none of us will be righteous because of our own good deeds. We'll be righteous because we receive the forgiveness of Christ and his righteousness was applied to us. But you and I must make a choice. We must decide. Do we want to love the world or do we want to love God? We must decide. Do we want to be popular and well-respected and go along with the crowd? Or do we want to go along with God? We must decide. Do we want to tolerate everything and miss what God is calling us to. We must decide which side we'll be on. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of Paul to proclaim this message. And Lord, I pray for every person that's here today in the sanctuary. I pray for every person that's joining us by broadcast. Lord, I ask that we would choose to follow you. I pray if there's any person here, Lord, that's never been saved, 
I pray that in this moment you would draw them to you with your Holy Spirit. For it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Today, before we leave, I want to ask you to make a decision. Decide which, which side you're on. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for you. He died so that you could be forgiven and so that you could be saved. He died so that one day when we stand before him, we might be welcomed into heaven. Not cast into an eternal fire that was never meant for us, but so that we might receive what he has prepared for us. It's a gift that he offers, but you have to decide to receive it. This morning, if you would choose to follow Jesus, that one choice in sincerity could change your life for all eternity. So I want to invite you when we sing. I want to invite you to speak to God. If you'll pray to him this morning, he will hear your prayer. And he will answer your prayer. Maybe you're here today and you've already made a decision to follow Christ, but so many things have distracted you. Maybe they haven't become barriers to keep you from getting to God, but now that you're in that relationship with him, they keep trying to draw you away. The love of the world, the acceptance by the crowd, the tolerance that's preached in our society. I would urge you today, you know that Christ spoke to one of the churches in Revelation. And he taught them about losing their first love. And he called them to come back to where they once were. If that's you today, God, God wants to be as close to you today as, as he has ever been. In fact, as, as we grow closer to him, he wants to be closer than we've ever been. But it's up to us. So I want to ask you today, whatever decision you need to make, Let's make it now as we stand and sing. Let's join together.